Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Thanks for listening to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. We worship him because he is the one and only true God. He is the sovereign God of the universe. And what does it mean to be sovereign? There's no one above him. When Jesus Christ came to his people, the Jews, they didn't believe that he is their Messiah. They'll find out later. But right now, there are many Jewish people, and I've got a lot of Jewish friends who don't believe that Jesus Christ is their Messiah. In John chapter 8, verses 57 and 58, here's what he says. The Jews said to Jesus, you are not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? John 8, 58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. What did he mean by that? I am means that he existed as the Lord God the Son. He was the one in Genesis 15, 9 that Abraham was talking about. Abraham believed in Jehovah Elohim, the Lord God the Son, and it was credited to his account as righteousness. The term I am refers to deity. The Lord Jesus Christ is deity. He is God. He is the exact same in essence as God the Father and as God the Holy Spirit. One God in three separate and distinct persons, all with the same essence. In addition, he has always existed for all eternity with God the Father and with God the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is God the Son, the Lord, in human form as Jesus the Christ. He is fully God, and he is simultaneously fully man in one person, and that's why we call him the uniquely born one from God. Well, why does Barah Ministries exist? This ministry is provided by God for your benefit. It gives you a mental sanctuary a refuge in which to learn the truth. It gives you a place to be equipped for the battles that you're going to face when you go out into the world. Battles of faith. Do you have faith? All you need is faith as small as a mustard seed, but do you have faith that God can do anything for you on your behalf? So at Barah Ministries, we teach the Word of God from God's perspective and not from human perspective. And we encourage believers in Christ to gather together with other believers in Christ 
rather than doing things alone, rather than doing everything online, rather than thinking it's smart for you to be alone. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 say this, Let us believers in Christ consider how to stimulate one another to unconditional love and good deeds. That's why we come together in a church to stimulate each other, to use unconditional love in every circumstance. You know, I it, it hit me this morning that there are a lot of us who like pointing at other people, and we like talking about all other people's deficiencies. And there's always something missing when we do that. When you're pointing at other people, what's missing is you didn't start by looking at yourself. Because if you start by looking at yourself before you look at other people, you won't look at other people. Because you'll see all the deficiencies that you have, and you'll realize the absolutely amazing thing that God did on your behalf by dying for you on the cross so that all of your mistakes and maladies and failures could be taken care of. And when you occupy yourself with that relationship between you and God, you won't have time to look at other people and talk about what other people have going on with them and what's wrong with them. But if you skip that step, if you skip the step of looking at yourself and you just go right to looking at other people, then you start to assume the prerogative of God. And God, even God, doesn't judge us until all our days are over. So that's something that we just need to get clear on. And at Barah Ministries, what we want you to know is that this place is all about you learning to use the unconditional love that God has placed in you so that you direct it toward God, you direct it toward yourself, and you direct it toward others. So... Gathering ourselves is considerate of our relationship with God. It is considerate of our relationship with self. It is considerate of our relationship with others. So let's not miss out. Well, why do Christians study the Word of God? We get to know the Lord Jesus Christ by studying the Bible because it's His exact thinking revealed. And we develop our relationship with the Lord by knowing his mind. When you really know somebody's mind, you really know them. The Bible is the only book in the world with accurate prophecy. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24 and 25 say this, All flesh is like grass, and the flesh's glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and flowers fall off. Peter 1.25, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached as good news to you. Christians always compare what they learn, both at Barah Ministries and in the world, with what the Bible has to say. Well, who is God's enemy? God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. In John chapter 12, verse 31, the Lord says, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. He will be dethroned at a future time. God created us to depend on him. Satan encourages us to act independently from God, the do-it-yourself spiritual life. And you know why he wants us 
to act independently from God? Because he wants us to feel the wrath of God. He doesn't want us to believe in Christ. Because if you don't believe in Christ, one day you're going to experience the wrath of God the Father. Because God the Father directs his wrath towards sin. And Satan wants you to join him in being at the wrong end of the wrath of God. If you're a believer in Christ, that will never happen to you. And so Satan offers lifestyles, <coughs> excuse me, legalism and lasciviousness, perversions of Christianity and deceptive lies. Romans chapter 1 verse 25 says this, those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness, and that is a description of unbelievers. That is not a description of believers. We don't practice unrighteousness. We don't practice ungodliness. We are righteous and we practice godliness. Not always so well. But anyway, those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness, that is unbelievers, exchange the truth of God for a lie. That's what people do who get all their information from the world and who ignore the word of God. They exchange the truth of God for a lie the lies of the world, and they worship and serve the creature, Satan, rather than serving the creator who created the creature and them, serving he who is blessed forever. It is best to depend on the one who created you. Today's Bible lesson, Jesus asks you, do you believe this? As we begin the study of Paul's letter to the Colossians, just a reminder about the lesson of the letter. There are true teachers who teach the word of God in truth, and there are false teachers who disseminate false teaching. And in this lesson, we'll learn a simple question that God is always asking his believers to ensure that they f are following the truth. Well, let's listen to some music. The voices in your mind that create doubt about your spiritual life and your relationship with the Lord don't come from God and they don't come from the Bible. They come from Satan, from his kingdom of death and darkness, the world, and from the flesh resident in you. Well, you're better off listening only to what God has to say. Here's Laura Daigle telling us about her struggle in her song, You Say.
grateful heavenly father for the privilege of studying your absolute truth the word of god thank you father for sending us a true teacher god the holy spirit who is leading us into all the truth through our study of the word of god thank you for helping us discern the difference between the truth and a counterfeit thank you for sending your son our lord and savior jesus christ to pay for all our mistakes at the cross Thank you for freeing us through him from your wrath that is to come to all those who reject a relationship with Christ. Thank you for giving us a lifestyle, Christianity, that is totally sufficient because it is powered by you and by the other members of the Godhead. Help us to relax as we learn your truth today and let your word bring a calm over us that guides our walk through a turbulent world. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, Jesus asks you, do you believe this? Once you are clear on what it takes to be saved, once you respond positively and accept the Lord's offer of salvation, once you're in a church that is teaching the truth, Satan and his demonic forces will send false teachers with false teaching to pervert your experience of Christianity and to create doubt that you are saved. See, you know one of the funny things about life right now is that people can't concentrate. People can't concentrate for about five minutes on a message. How do you think that happened? It happens because Satan is absolutely bombarding you with information and with all the different information that you get, it confuses you. I remember I used to study with five different pastors. And you know what? what because, because what you have going on in your sick mind is more is better. And so I would think, well, if one pastor is good, then five is better. All it did was confuse me. One pastor is going this direction. One pastor is going that direction. 
One pastor's going this way. One pastor's going that way. And now I'm completely confused. I don't know what to believe. That's exactly what's happening to you today. You are being bombarded with information. So much information that you can't just pick one thing and concentrate on it for 60 seconds. 60 seconds. Can you just stay focused for 60 seconds on anything is really the question. And the answer is a loud and resounding no. No, you can't. Why? Because people have forgotten what all the tools of engagement are. What are the tools of engagement? Notes, a pen, and your brain zoomed into one thing. That's not what happens. We sit and we're wandering over here, wandering over here. Well, all the places you're wandering, where are you going? What's over there? Is there anything that's over there, the places you're wandering, that are going to equip you for the disasters that are coming in your life right soon? There are people and things conspiring right now in your life to ruin you. Because that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to ruin you. He wants to introduce things into your life that appear enticing on the face of it and then to absolutely ruin you and steal your life, years and years and years of your life. That's what's going on. That's what false teachers and false teachings do. So as we start to study Colossians, and we understand that this is about false teachers and false teaching in a city that was this small town in the middle of nowhere with two other churches and two other small towns really close. We may be tempted to think, oh, well, that was back then. What about now? It's the same thing. It's the same exact thing. Because you know what your small town is today? Most people don't ever go more than 16 miles from their house. I was just thinking when I was listen, listening to Laura Daigle's song about how cloistered we are as people, how we just draw this little circle that we can run in and we just stay in our little circle. And it gets so bad that I, I know for me personally, there'll be times when I'm sitting on the couch and my phone will go off and it'll say, hey, Rory, it's time to take your blood pressure medicine. I don't even want to get up off the couch and walk the 16 steps it's going to take to get my blood pressure medicine. That's how much I want to stay in my little circle. See, it's not just you, it's me, it's all of us. These things that this world that we're in encourage us to do. And believe me, that sounds nothing like freedom. That is not the freedom that Christ set us free for. So when you come here to this message, you're coming for a supernatural experience. You're not coming to hear just one more thing about how everything you're doing is amazing. You're coming here to learn how to step out of the things that you just want to do naturally. And what you want to do naturally is zone out. What you want to do naturally is not concentrate. What you want to do naturally is not be around other people not care about other people, not invite other people to this amazing message about what Jesus Christ has to offer every one of his creatures that he created. Amen? 
All right, so the Bible is clear. See, Satan and his demonic forces will send false teachers and false teaching to, to give you, Christians, doubt about the fact that you are saved. That's what I experienced all my sabbatical. All my sabbatical. I doubt if you're going to come back. I doubt if you're saved. You better work. You better do something this year to impress God. I bet you God's not impressed with the fact that you went on sabbatical. God the Holy Spirit went on sabbatical seven days after he was restoring the planet. He absolutely sanctions sabbatical. What does that mean? He sanctions rest. He doesn't want us running around like a chicken with our head cut off, zoomed into one area of our life and ignoring the rest. Amen? It's not what he wants for us. The Bible is clear. It may be the only source of absolute truth in the world. The Bible is the boldest written work in the history of mankind, and it begins with four words that are neither ambiguous nor confusing. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says this, In the beginning, God. What a start to the Bible. What a punch in the face. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, not a beginning, because God has no beginning and no ending. In the beginning, God. Did what? Hang on and keep reading. The rest of the Bible will tell you everything God did. That is a knockout punch. Our Lord, who had no beginning and has no end, makes it clear that he is the center of both angelic history and human history. When you look at the solar system, what's in the middle of the solar system? The sun, S-U-N. Well, what's in the middle of the universe? The sun, S-O-N. He has always existed. There never was a time when he didn't exist. And there never will be a time when he doesn't exist. He created us. He is the sovereign God of the universe. What does that mean? He is numero uno. That's what sovereign means. And nothing happens in the universe without his permission. Something happened to you this week? He allowed it. If he didn't want it to happen, it wouldn't have happened. If the Lord were saying these things to you personally, he would ask a simple question after he told you. Do you believe this? I was talking to a friend of mine who last year I told you guys to study uh, the Gospel of John. And I was asking a friend of mine if he studied the Gospel of John. He said, yeah, I did. I said, what would you learn? He said, oh, well, that's really simple. Believe, 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 believe. He said, do you want me to say it 98 times? That's how many times John says it in his gospel, 98 times. Believe. What does believe mean? It means take God's word for it. And so I was clear that he had studied it. So God asks us this simple question all the time. Every time we hear something, do you believe this? It's the question he asked Martha. This is what the Lord asked Martha when he raised her brother Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Can you put that up? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. John 11, 26. 
And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And here's the question. Do you believe this, Martha? Because our Lord said this, it's the truth. Do you believe this? As a believer in Christ, of course you do. You're clear because the Lord is clear. And as soon as you are clear on something, as soon as you're clear on what it takes to be saved, as soon as you're clear on who the sovereign God of the universe is, what will Satan do? Satan will do what he always does. He will send false teachers with false teaching to introduce lies, tempting you to doubt what you know to be true. What is he telling our teenagers today? Sex is great. Have sex. Of course sex is great. Where? In marriage. But he says sex is great. And so what do our teenagers do? They experiment with it. And then what happens? 21-year prize package. A baby. How's a baby going to take care of a baby? Yet that's what you see all the time. Babies raising babies. I'm amazed. Just walk around, go to a mall, walk around and see all these young girls raising babies. Well, unfortunate thing about babies, they don't come with an owner's manual. They don't. You got to figure it out. How are you going to figure out how to raise a baby when you don't even know how to raise yourself? And so what happens? Two decades of your life gone like that in the snap of a finger over what he loved me she loves me mm-hmm. yeah but what yeah. <laughs> whatever i hear my friends talking about that and they start talking about i'm in love first thing i ask yeah what's his credit score because if you're in a relationship there are finances What's the spiritual life like? That's what I want to know. Is this person going to lead you into a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Or are they going to try to be your Lord and Savior? Because it's never worked. No human being has ever become your Lord and Savior. So what does Satan introduce with his false teachers and false teaching? Doubt. What is doubt? Doubt is something that calls the truth into question. Doubt is the introduction of uncertainty. Are you sure? Doubt is to consider something unlikely. I don't think, there's no way that there could be only one way to God. There are multiple paths to God. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there's one way, Christ. Doubt, to lack confidence in something. Well, I don't know. Doubt to mistrust. Doubt to have a skeptical attitude about something. And when we encounter a person who lives this attitude, we call them a doubting Thomas. What is a doubting Thomas? It's a skeptic who refuses to believe without direct personal experience. If you have to have direct personal experience to believe things, you're in trouble. Fire is hot. Do you need to get burned before you figure that out? Falling off a cliff will kill you. Do you have to fall off a cliff 
to know that falling off a cliff will kill you, or can you learn some other way? I think we can learn another way. So Doubting Thomas, this is a reference to the Apostle John's portrayal of the Apostle Thomas, who refused to believe that the resurrected Jesus had appeared to the ten other apostles after he died until Thomas could see it for himself. John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29 say this. Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, which means the twin, was not with the other apostles when the resurrected Jesus came. The resurrected Jesus is the Jesus who was raised from the dead. John twenty twenty five. So the other disciples were saying to him, We've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see his hands, in his hands the imprint of the nails, unless I put my finger into the place of the nails, and unless I put my hands into his side, I absolutely will not believe. John chapter twenty twenty six. After eight days, the Lord's disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having already been shut tight. There's good news, people. When you get a resurrection body, it'll be able to go through walls. Amen? Amen. Isn't that great? You've always wanted that power. So Jesus came, the doors having been shut tight, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. John twenty twenty seven. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Reach here in with your finger and see my hands, and reach here with your hand and put it in my side, and call a halt to your unbelieving. Instead, be one who is believing. Believe, believe, believe. John twenty twenty eight. Thomas answered and said to Jesus, My Lord and my God. John twenty twenty nine. Jesus said to Thomas, Because you've seen me, you have believed? Empiricism? If I can't see it, feel it, touch it, taste it, it doesn't exist? Really? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed through faith. The Colossian believers heard the true gospel message from a true teacher, Epaphras. They believed the true gospel. They were saved, and immediately false teachers came in with false teaching to introduce doubt about the certainty of their salvation. Christians, are you saved? Are you sure? The same thing happens to us today. Religions, mass media, movies, family friends, and even counterfeit Christians introduce destructive heresies that are intended to shake Christians from the certainty of our relationship with the Lord and his promises and to rob us of the victory as believers in union with Christ. For example, one of Satan's religious perversions is called Lordship Salvation. The very name adds to salvation. It puts lordship in front of salvation. Salvation doesn't need any help. And a very famous pastor describes lordship salvation this way. And one of the things that's funny to me about very famous pastors is they have thousands and thousands and thousands of followers. They're selling thousands and thousands and thousands of books, but they're not teaching the truth. Here's what Lordship Salvation is according to him. The gospel calls to, call to faith presupposes 
that sinners must repent of their sins, sins and yield to Christ's authority. A sinner who refuses to repent of his sins is not saved, for he cannot cling to his sin and the Savior at the same time. Where in the Bible does it say that? A sinner who rejects Christ's authority does not have saving faith, for true faith encompasses a surrender to God. Thus the, gospel, thus, the gospel requires more than making an intellectual decision or mouthing a prayer. The gospel message is a call to discipleship. The sheep will follow their shepherd in submission, submissive obedience. Lie, 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 lie. False. And thousands of people are following that false teacher and that false teaching to this day, there are people that I was ordained with that have gone off the rails and are teaching that crap. False. Because what is this saying? See, in other words, what it's saying is there's a requirement to be saved that is more than simply believing what the Lord tells us. Whenever you hear the words true faith, your antenna ought to go up. Whenever a person doesn't cite scripture to back up his claims, your antenna ought to stay up. See, they're always spouting all this stuff, but they never take you to the Bible and show you. And when they do take you to the Bible, they take you to a verse that's out of context. And we buy it. Why? Because the lies are so easy to believe. And we don't want to believe that a ministry like Barah Ministries could ever be effective. Look, you know, what we got in Barah Ministries? We got... 11 or 12 people here in the resident congregation, 20 people outside of the resident congregation. And, but what we've got is a pastor who's teaching the truth. Do you think that a God who could take five loaves and two fishes and feed 5,000 men, and, and what wasn't said when it, when it said 5,000 men, is 5,000 men and their families, there were over 15,000 people there. Do you think a God who could take five loaves and two fishes and feed 15,000 people in a single day can take this message and proliferate it across the world? I do. I do. So that's why it doesn't bother me how many people come here. It doesn't bother me. Because just as the internet is powerful enough to ruin your ability to concentrate, the internet is, is, is valuable to God in proliferating his message all around the world to the exact places he wants it to go. Because he started it with five loaves and two fishes and he continues it to this day. So here's the thing. When we're clear on something biblical, like the gospel message, you have two choices when dealing with false teachers. You can believe them or you can ignore them. The Lord would ask you about what they say. Do you believe this? Do you believe the false teachers? Do you believe the false teaching? Do you believe this? One of the Apostles Paul's students, Epaphras, the pastor of home-based churches at Colossae, Laodicea, and Oropolis, asked Paul for help with the problem of false teachers and false teaching in these churches. 
Paul addressed the problem with this letter to the believers at Colossae. The letter was also shared with the believers at Laodicea, the rich folk, and the believers at Heropolis, the old folks who wanted a spa. So let's look at the first passage of Paul's letter, Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. That's the passage that we will study today. Colossians 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, Colossians 1, 2, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Colossians 1.3 We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Colossians 1.4 Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Colossians 1.5 Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. Colossians 1.6 Which has come to you, just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Colossians 1.7 Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ, on our behalf. Colossians 1.8, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. When we return, we'll study this passage verse by verse. Take a five-minute break, and then we'll continue. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery.
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, Jesus asks you, do you believe this? Well, Nike has it right about athletics. Just do it. At Barah Ministries, we have it right about generosity. Just give it. Don't ever underestimate the power of your giving. When you give to Barah Ministries, you change lives. You may not hear how you make a difference while you're here on earth. But God knows the impact you make, and he will share it with you when you get to heaven. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. My, day, my name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon at Barab Ministries. Barab Ministries is broadcasting worldwide right now, and we do every Sunday. Thank, to, thank you to the charitable giving that we get through our ministry. Barab Ministries is a worldwide Christian church that, where real people want to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. And each week I get up here and ask for money, and I ask for people to, to give to this church of their time, talent, and treasure. And It might be lost on you that giving at the offering is a form of worship. Giving when you get the chance is, is worshiping God. You're showing God that you trust in Him and you have faith. And one of the verses that we always hear at the offering is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So it's really easy to get lost on that and think, you know, I'll just give once in an, every now and then. 
but you need to give every week. It's often like a, a farmer that has thousands of acres and only puts seed on a couple acres. What's he going to reap? Not very much. Not, not the potential. Not what he really could. Or the fisherman that has hundreds of nets and they keep their boat on the shore. Or they keep their boat tied up on, at the dock and never put the nets out. You have a chance every day to put nets out and catch people and catch fish. And the same goes for the faithful believer. How many days do we have in a week? How many people do we pass by each day? And we don't say anything about our gospel, about the one true, true Lord Jesus Christ. So, I mean, if you did one person a day, that's seven, seven people a week. Imagine that over the course of a month and a year. We don't think like, like that. We just think, oh, we compartmentalize it. And I'm at school, I don't talk about Christ. I'm at work, I don't talk about Christ. I'm, I'm with strangers, I don't talk about Christ. Why not? We talk about them in our heart all day. We, we think about them. So I think if we remember to sow bountiful, bountifully with our gospel, we'll have a lot more people here, a lot more people to give each week. And I think when people realize that they're giving to this ministry, they don't realize it's one of the best places you can give your money. Because pastor is a great steward of the money. We don't use it for anything other than for this church. We have free Bibles, we have music, we have lessons every week, and we have a pastor that loves this and loves you and loves Christ. And so thank you for always supporting that and giving it the offering. Today's Bible lesson, Jesus asks you, do you believe this? So let's study the three messages in the opening verses, uh, one section at a time, verse by verse. And as we do, let's imagine this letter is being written to you, because it is. So let's start with the greeting. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 is Paul's greeting. And what he's doing in the greeting is highlighting the power of Christ. Colossians 1.1, a letter from Paul, an apostle of Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, by spiritual gift and apostle. There's the power of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ gives every one of his believers a spiritual gift. Paul's is the gift of apostle. Called by means of the will of God the Father himself. With Timothy, our brother, who is with Paul as a co-worker, as the co-author of the letter, and as his closest companion in the faith. Paul didn't make himself an apostle. 
It was a calling given to him, given to him as a gift by God. I remember one of my wacky friends from the religious uh, uh, organizations used to say, "Rory, you have an anointing." Okay, what? <laughs> okay, whatever. Yeah, I have an anointing every time I put oil on my hands. You know, it's a calling. What God does is call us to a gift and call us to use the gift. And that's what people are saying who are religious who say that you have an anointing. But the way they say it, it's, it's, it's like it's something that I got that none of you poor people got. Look, all of us have a calling on our lives. We have a spiritual gift and God expects us to use it for his benefit. So Paul was in prison at Rome as he wrote this letter. And Timothy was ministering to him there. And he uses this greeting to establish his authority because he's writing to a church that he would never visit and that he didn't establish. By the way, each of you believers in Christ has a calling and it's powered by a spiritual gift from God. But do you know what your spiritual gift is? One of the great pleasures of my life over the last quarter century is to ask Christians what their spiritual gift is and to see that look they get on their faces when you ask them that. But what irritates me is when you ask them a year later, they have the same look on their face. And when you ask them 20 years later, they have the same look on their face because they've never bothered to investigate what their spiritual gift is almost as if they don't think they have one. What is your spiritual gift, and are you using it? Because you'll neither know what it is, nor will you use it unless you give it away. The Lord is powerful enough to direct the use of your spiritual gift. Will you let him? Colossians chapter 1, verse 2. This is a letter to the saints those who are holy and faithful brethren, believers in Christ, in union with Christ, those believers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Paul starts many of his letters with grace to you and peace. And so what exactly does he mean? What he means is that in grace, God treats us better than we deserve to be treated. That's what I was talking about in the announcements today. When I talked about the idea that we ha- it's God has a relationship with us. And before we go criticizing anybody else, we ought to really think about that relationship that God has with us. Wretched people. People who have fall short of the glory of God. We are people who have sinned. Who are not righteous. Not even one before God imputes his righteousness to us. We ought to be thinking about that. Because in grace, God treats us better than we deserve to be treated. And that's Paul's wish for us. And it was his wish for the Colossians. God gives us peace. Grace to you and peace, Paul says. What is peace? We now rest in the absolute fact that God has nothing against us believers in Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says this, What then shall we believers in Christ say face to face with all these things? And these things is a reference to the things that are being mentioned in verses uh, 28 to 30 of Romans 8. If God the Father is for us believers in Christ, 
and of course he is, who is ever going to be successful in opposition to us? Think about one person that is in opposition to you and ask yourself a really simple question. Do you think that that person is going to be successful in opposition to you? And I will tell you the answer. No way. It may seem like they are now. No way God is going to allow that to happen. Nobody can be successful against believers in Christ. The next thing in this letter to the Colossians is thanksgiving. That's Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Paul is grateful that the Colossian believers are living Christianity. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. We, and that's Paul referring to himself and Timothy, always give thanks to God. Where? In prayer. We always give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, all of you Colossian believers, Laodicean believers and Hierapolis believers as well. He's praying for all of them. Colossians 1, 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus from Epaphras, founder of the church at Colossae, and since we heard of the unconditional love which all of you have for all of the saints, and I love hearing that, that these believers had love, unconditional love for all believers in Christ. Colossians 1.5 Because of your faith, and unconditional love, because your faith and unconditional love comes from the hope stored up for all of you in heaven where the Lord lives, of which hope all of you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. The Christian way of living is powered by faith, hope, and love. Paul is encouraging the Colossian congregation to keep on living this way. God wants his believers in Christ to live a different lifestyle than the one lived by those in the world. Is that what you do? Is your lifestyle different from the people in the world? Or are you just one of those people who wants to be a sheep and follow your friends? Is it different? See, I, I, I think that's why we don't talk to people about God. We don't want to appear different. We don't want to appear as if we are freaks. We, want, we don't want to be Bible thumpers. Oh, he's one of those Bible thumpers. Are you one of those born-agains? That's what people say to you when you start talking to them about anything serious like God. Now, you don't want to feel that feeling of being a weirdo. Well, I'm black. I'm weird. I like it. I like being weird. I've always been weird. I've always been a Negro, a minority, a person at risk, a person of color, an African-American, a minority, you name it. I'm anything but who I am, which is a man. I like being weird. Make me weird. But how about you? Do you like being weird, being a believer in Christ? I went to see Jesus Christ Superstar the other night which is a rock opera about Jesus Christ, and it was horrible. I've seen it about 40 times, and the version I saw when I was a teenager was a lot better than the version I saw now. But you know, I was sitting there wondering, I was wondering how many people in that theater 
are believers in Christ. And my guess is probably about 10% of them. And the rest of them are sitting there being entertained by these things about Jesus Christ. And it's not sinking in. Going right over their head. Not sinking in that Jesus Christ is God. That Jesus Christ is the Jewish Messiah. And I would wager that about half the people in that theater are Jewish. And it does not land that this person that they're seeing a story about in, in right in front of them is their Messiah. The Jewish Messiah. The one who was promised in the Old Testament to come. Missed it. Well, what Paul is telling the Colossian believers is keep living this life of faith, hope, and love so that you reflect a difference to the world. So that you aren't like everybody else. That you're slightly weird in the eyes of the world. Why? Because God wants us to reflect the gifts that he gives to us. Faith, hope, and love to the lost and dying world. God commands in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, Now faith, hope, and unconditional love abide in the sphere of these three. What is the sphere? It's like a geodesic dome that you can live in. Abide in the sphere of these three, but the greatest of these is unconditional love. Why is that the greatest? Because that, more than anything, is why you are saved, believers in Christ, because God loved you unconditionally. Because if God was conditional towards you like Satan contends that he is, there is no way that there would ever be anything in you that would be worthy of God saving you. No way. So faith, hope, and love, these are the works James thinks will be visible in Christians when they're doing the right thing. James chapter 2 verse 20 says this, But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works like hope and love is useless? That's right, because when you have faith in Christ, it shows up as faith, hope, and love in your life so everybody can see it clearly. And next week we'll talk about what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What it really means is reflecting faith, hope, and love in everything you do. Well, Epaphras reported to Paul that he was seeing faith, hope, and love demonstrated by the new Colossian believers. Now, most of the commentators believe that Epaphras was actually in prison with Paul when he was talking to him about the problems of the Colossian church, which is why Paul wrote the letter. But anyway, these Colossian believers placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation by responding positively to the gospel message. A gospel message that everybody who listens to a Barah Ministries lesson gets at the end of every lesson. Well, what is faith? What is faith? You have faith as a gift from God. What is faith? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 tells us, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. It's you knowing without question that those things that you hope for are going to be given to you by God. It is the absolute assurance 
that God has you and your desires, the desires of your heart on his radar. And he's patient. Take some time. He lets you marinate in the juices of doubt. And then he comes through. In faith, believers in Christ place confidence in the object of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do it after examination of the facts. We don't spend our faith blindly. We have absolute confidence in a God that keeps his promises, especially the promises concerning salvation. And the Lord would ask, do you believe this? Do you believe when I say believe and you'll be saved, that that's exactly what happens? Do you believe this? Do you believe I'm on your side? Do you believe this? Well, the Colossians did, according to Epaphras. In faith, the Lord, is, is faith in the Lord showing up in your life? Because without faith, there are mental limits. We don't think things are possible. You know why we don't think things are possible? Because we're thinking with human viewpoint and we're thinking about our human power. And we don't think that God has the power to do anything he wants. With supernatural help from God, anything is possible. That's what, that's what was told to Mary. Mary said, how can I be having a baby when... I've never had sex with a man. What did, what did the angel Gabriel say? With humans, maybe that's not possible. With God, anything's possible. Hope is next. That was faith. This is hope. Hope in the Christian way of living is our absolute confidence that we're going to have an amazing future. An eternity in heaven with our God. Because our Lord says so. Romans chapter 8 verse 25 says this. If we believers in Christ hope for what we do not see in the future, and of course we do, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for the things to come. We have an amazing future. And we're not in a hurry to get it. It will come in due time. And because of the hope we have as a gift from God, we don't beat ourselves up for anything, especially for continuing to sin after salvation. We are perfect in the Lord's eyes because he made us perfect at the moment of salvation by crediting his own righteousness to us and for paying for our sins with his blood. He paved the road for us so that we would never have to worry about anything. We have faith in what he did for us at the cross, And in hope we know with absolute certainty that our future is bright, eternal, and secure. The Lord would ask, do you believe this? Do you believe that cool stuff is coming? Do you believe in that which you can't see? You do when you're on a dating app on the internet. You haven't met somebody and you think they love you. You're flipping between this one and that one, and you're texting them. You believe in that thing you don't see? Do you believe in the things of God that you don't see? Is hope powering your confidence in the Lord? In relationship with people, it's unconditional love. We love others unconditionally because we know it's the only answer in human relationships. If you get conditional with people, you're going to get bitter. 
if you love people unconditionally, meaning you have no expectations of them, you just kind of take what they get, what you get, then you're in really good shape. Well, how do we know unconditional love works in relationships? Because God says so. Unconditional love is the willingness to overlook faults, both in ourselves and in others. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says this, If someone says, I love God unconditionally, and he hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother unconditionally, whom he has seen, cannot love God unconditionally, whom he has not seen. The people that I love, the, one of the reasons I love teaching the people who frequent Barah Ministries is because it's a group of people who have chosen to use what the gift is of unconditional love that God has given them and who have cho- chosen to overlook people's faults. We have friends who know who we are and who we are not. And they overlook who we are not, even when it hurts them. They love us unconditionally. They forgive us. And the Lord would ask, do you believe this? Do you believe that's the right thing to do? Do you believe the right thing to do is to overlook the faults of others? Or do you believe that it is your prerogative to stand up and point at other people and to say, you don't like their sin nature, or you don't like something that they're doing in their lives. Is that your prerogative? It is if you didn't look at yourself first. Because if you look at yourself first, you could never do that in a million years. Because you would see the gargantuan number of flaws that you have, and you would never be able to talk about anybody else's flaws. Yet our God sees all of your flaws, every single one of them, the ones that are out front that people and the ones that you hide in the background, and he loves you anyway, and he died for you anyway, and he saved you anyway. And the Lord would ask, do you believe this? And is unconditional love a part of your Christian life, especially with your enemies? And boy, you want to talk about the hard part? That's the hard part, when you have to love your enemies unconditionally. God does. Unconditional love comes from, I've got your back. And this is not typical of human conditional love. For example, to die for someone is absolutely not human. It's supernatural. In unconditional love, that's what the Lord did. He died to save the whole world from the wrath of his father. Thank you, Jesus. See, he wanted to save Stalin from the wrath of his father. He wanted to save Hitler from the wrath of his father. He wanted to save Nero from the wrath of his father. He wanted to save Saddam Hussein from the wrath of his father. That's how special our God is. That's how different our God is because none of us want to save any of those folks. Other Christians fall short of our glory. You're divorced? Oh my God, I can't believe you're divorced. How could you do that? 
when we love unconditionally, we immediately remember whom God has saved among us, the wretched, including us. By the way, we can't produce faith, hope, and love. They are gifts from God. It's nothing you did that's special. Faith in God, hope in self, the absolute confidence for a bright, eternal, secure future, and unconditional love for others is the outward manifestation of the Christian way of living. The Lord would ask, do you believe this? The Colossians were living it. We place our faith in Jesus Christ, and as a result, we have hope, the confident assurance that we're going to heaven And we love God's people unconditionally. The final part of this first passage of Ephesians is the gospel. God provides the gospel. That's Colossians chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. The good news concerning Jesus Christ's salvation offer. Colossians chapter 1, verse 6. We give thanks and pray for you, Colossian believers, because of the gospel which has come to you. Just as it is coming into all the world, the gospel message that keeps on bearing fruit and keeps on increasing, even as the gospel message also has been doing in all of you since the day all of you heard the gospel and understood the grace of God in truth. Colossians 1.7 Just as all of you learned the gospel message from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ, on our behalf. Colossians 1.8 And Epaphras also informed us of your unconditional love in the Spirit. Not only in Christo Iesu, but in Numati. And also in Pater. In the Spirit. So the Colossian believers heard the accurate gospel message from Epaphras. The gospel came to the Colossians from a supernatural source, Christ. Did you hear that? Christ came for you. You didn't go to him. The truth found them. They heard it. They learned it. They believed it. And they were saved. What did they hear? The gospel message. They heard it. They learned it. They believed it. And they were saved. And God entrusted these believers to spread the gospel message to the rest of the world. Then what happened? What happens every time false teachers infiltrate the church teaching a different gospel in a movement that would later be called Gnosticism, the gospel was attacked. The false teachers were heretics teaching heresy. The Gnostics taught that there is another level of knowledge. Among other things, they taught that Jesus Christ is not God, They taught that the Colossians were not saved without other things. They taught that Epaphras' gospel message was lacking substance. The truth, the gospel is accurate. It needs no additions. It needs no subtractions. And it doesn't need an upgrade. It doesn't need Gnostic help. It is simple. Believe in Christ and be saved. So the first eight verses of this letter is a series of assurances from Paul to the Colossian believers. Our God is Christ. 
The message you heard is the real gospel, and you are saved. And in addition, you're running your race well. You're not just walking in the Lord, but you're running your race well. And here comes the devil. The devil introduces doubt. See, Satan believes that God exists, and as a matter of fact, he knows God exists. But he doesn't count on the Lord for salvation. Not he and not his fallen angels, not his demon army. So he tempts us to doubt. He asks those, uh, us those doubt-provoking questions. Are you really saved? Or did you just have a head belief and not a heart belief? Are you really going to heaven? Wait a minute, is there a heaven? Because there are a lot of people who don't believe that heaven exists or that hell exists or that the devil exists. So in the matter of being saved, here's the hard thing for you to believe. You get everything for nothing. God does the work for you. Or you can believe that you need to add horoscopes, a great diet, the voice of God in your head, the worship of nature, the worship of Mother Earth, tongues, homage to the universe, immorality, circumcision, false philosophies, traditions, ceremonies, and angel worship to salvation. All or one of these things will make you spiritual, more spiritual according to the false teachers the Gnostics. As for me, I'll just take God's word for everything, the simplicity and pure devotion to Christ. The Lord would ask, do you believe this? The closing moments of today's lesson are dedicated to anyone, anywhere, who is undecided about having a relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants from you is he wants you to make the most important decision of your life. Well, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you have a chance to be precious in God's sight. Psalm 116, verse 15 says this, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones, his saints, his believers in Christ. And the fact that God wants you is a great thing to know as you get older because there will be a day when it's apparent to you that no one gets out of this life alive. What's going to happen to you when you close your eyes in this life? Will you go to heaven or will you go to hell? God has an enemy, Satan, the ruler of this world, and he creates counterfeit lifestyles to blind your mind. Religions designed to mislead you into thinking you're on the road to salvation when you are not. Roman Catholicism is one of those counterfeits. Here is an excerpt from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Moved by the Holy Spirit and by charity, We can merit for ourselves and for others the graces needed for our sanctification, for the attainment of eternal life. No, you can't. No, you can't. That is a lie. You cannot merit for yourself, nor can you merit for others the graces needed 
for the attainment of eternal life. But Satan wants you to think you can work your way to heaven, earning your own salvation. Also, he wants you to think that you can pray for the salvation of others after they have died. He is lying. You can't. Romans chapter 11, verse 6 says this, If salvation is by grace, and of course it is, it is no longer on the basis of your works. Otherwise, grace is a free gift from the source of God, is no longer grace, is no longer free. If you have to work for a free gift, then the work makes you deserve the gift. In salvation, there is no work that you can do that's impressive enough to save you. The Lord provides us with the Bible to illuminate the path to heaven. John chapter 20 verse 31 says this, These things written in the Bible have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the Son of God, the Lord taking on human form, and that by believing in him you may have the resurrection life, eternal life in his name. The Bible contains the Lord's exact thinking. It is your owner's manual for life and it obliterates the delusion that any of us are good people in God's eyes. In fact, the Bible says we're all bad people. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says all creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says it is written there is no creature who is righteous, not even one. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Verse 22 says, all in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being who come to this earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. Your condition at physical birth is not your fault, but it is your circumstance. The good news is that the Lord Jesus Christ did something about your problem. He has a plan for your salvation because he doesn't want anyone to go to the lake of fire. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation, as some accuse him of. Instead, he is patient toward unbelievers, not wishing for any to perish in the lake of fire, but for all to come to repentance, which is a voluntary change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So how can you get to heaven? Right where you sit right now, you can tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the moment of eternal life for you. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. The one way, the only way to get to heaven is through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to the doubting Apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation, I am the truth through the word of God, and I am the resurrection life, eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father but through believing in me. Who is this God that saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, deliver to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day 
according to the Old Testament Scriptures. Believing in Jesus Christ is your acknowledgement that you can't do a thing to get to heaven on your own. It's your confirmation that being a good person does not get you to heaven. So it's wiser to let God save you because once God does something, he never changes his mind. John chapter 10 verse 28 says this, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give eternal life to believers in Christ and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You can't lose your salvation. And if anyone says you can, he is lying to you. Many people in this world think they don't need a Savior because they are basically good people. These people are like those who defend themselves in a lawsuit. The joke in the legal community is anyone who represents himself in a lawsuit has a fool for a client. Acts chapter 4 verse 14, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says this. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So reject the relationship with Christ. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 30, the Lord shares the consequences. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, the lake of fire. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. You can join me as a host, at, you, you can join me and a host of your believer friends in heaven when you close your eyes in this life. Choose it now. Let's close with music. The Lord is clear about his attitude toward his creatures. He knows we don't seek him, so he seeks us. Luke chapter 15, verses 4 to 7 say this. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, doesn't leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. Luke 15, 5. And when he has found the lost sheep, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Luke 15, 6. And when the man comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Luke 15, 7. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner, an unbeliever who repents, changing his mind about having a relationship with Christ, than over 99 righteous persons, believers in Christ, who need no repentance. As we learn today, the Lord brings the gospel message to us. He seeks and saves the lost. The Lord would ask, do you believe this? Here's June Murphy to enlighten us about the Lord's pursuit of his creatures in her song, You Ran After Me. Never thought 
In the dark there is no doubt Jesus, light of the world, eternal truth Savior, you pursued, then let me choose You ran after me You ran after me of praise for our Lord. Let these sink in deeply into your soul. Romans 8.37 says, In every situation imaginable, believers in Christ keep on overwhelmingly conquering through the Lord who loves us unconditionally. Romans 8.38, For I, Paul, am convinced that neither death nor life, nor elect angels who wouldn't, nor principalities, the demons and the fallen angels who couldn't, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, Romans 8.39, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to sever us from the unconditional love of God the Father, who is for us through our union with Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for calling it to our attention that there are false teachers and there are true teachers. 
help us to doubt false teachers and their false teaching, just like they ask us to doubt the truth. Teach us to use their weapons of doubt against them. And as we go back into the battle of the world, help us see Satan's lies with spiritual eyes and let our discernment draw us nearer to you, to the other members of the Godhead, and to the Word of God. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Got biblical questions, ask the pastor. Pastor at BaraMinistries.com. And don't be shy about asking. And then keep on studying the Word of God. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.